It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Criticism is something we can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. And that is from Aristotle. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary, as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive Seeker Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the Seeker Rewind button on our episode pages. And another great companion to is our all-new Study Questions tool, an easy-to-follow, single-page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. So Jonathan, what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, how can criticism help us grow? And our theme text is found in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 32. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Okay, so how can criticism help us grow? We're going, we go, try again, Rick. We're going about our lives doing the best we can when suddenly we're criticized for our talk or dress or actions or beliefs. Now what? Are we immediately defensive? Do we hurl back insults and accusations? Or do we cave in internally, feeling really bad about ourselves and finding it hard to recover and move forward? Not wanting to change stops our growth process. Defensiveness might come from either pride or insecurity, both of which need to be recognized and managed. So coming up in today's podcast, look, it sure seems like most criticism is not constructive, but destructive and nobody likes that, let's face it. In our first two segments, we examine what our gut reactions look like. And here's a hint, they're not looking good, okay? And then we look at an example of constructive criticism that is ignored and doesn't turn out so well. How do you take criticism meant to hurt and destroy you and just allow it to go on unanswered? That's a tough one. On our third segment, it bring, we bring a story from the life of King David where he did exactly that. No conversation about unjustified criticism is complete without considering Jesus and his uncanny ability to deal with this stuff. Our fourth segment reveals what he did, and most importantly, how he did it. And finally, what about me? What do I need to do to keep harsh criticism from tearing me apart and making me want to fight back? Our final segment lays out simple and effective answers. So, Jonathan, for this subject matter, we brought Julie in. Julie, our, our, our rewind extraordinaire individual, you're here. Hello, Julie. How are you? Hi, Rick and Jonathan. Doing very good. Thank you. So, why, Julie? This, is, this was, a, this was a, a, a subject that you personally asked for. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I asked if we could do this program as a sister program to episode 1071. Earlier this year, you just did 1071, Should Christians Criticize Anyone? And that was a really great episode, mainly on how to be scripturally appropriate when delivering criticism. There was a small piece on how to accept it, but today's program goes much deeper into being on the receiving end. 
And I was in a Bible study on the book of Acts recently, studying how the apostle Paul handled his critics. And the study leader asked us all how we respond when we're criticized. And I don't know why, but it just kind of hit me. And I realized that the answer was for me, not too well. <laughs> and, and I needed to get some tools to be better at it. Okay. So this was, this was a, hey, this can help me out sort of request. You know how you say some programs are mirror programs? Yes. That means you take the program and you hold it right up to the mirror. Well, everyone, get your mirrors out because go. we've got some looking to do. That's right. <laughs> okay. Someone once said that the definition of critic is one who would have you write it, sign it, paint it, play it, conduct it, carve it, do it as he would if he could. A common mm -hmm. character defect is not being able to accept even well-intentioned criticism. Most times it is countered with a defensive and then uh, – with, with, with a, def a defense, I'm sorry, and then an attack. And, you know, as we were putting together the notes for this podcast, we started noticing that the bottom line is our reaction to criticism should be to contemplate it and then take appropriate action. And sometimes the right action is to do nothing, but only after it's been evaluated. And if that's the middle ground, we notice that you go to the right too far and you start ignoring it or you get defensive. And in its extreme form, we retaliate or even weaponize that criticism and, you know, hurl it back at the person. But if things go too far to the left, too far inward, we can have this self-doubt and get defeated or even crushed. And God can't use that spirit either. So we're going to have this chart in our CQ Rewind show notes that will be available on our website. And listeners can subscribe to our weekly newsletter and get the show notes and even uh, study questions when they're hot off the press about a week after each podcast airs. Okay, so it's a great chart. You want to check it out in the CQ Rewind show notes. Well, that'll come out uh, in several days. So let's get started. Let's go to a very brief soundbite from The Art of Manliness. Ooh. <laughs> how, to, <laughs> how to take criticism. And it's very brief. He talks about the fight or flight reactions of humanity. Criticism constitutes a threat to our egos and evokes a very visceral fight or flight response. You have to intentionally tell yourself to calm down and listen, and it often isn't easy to do. But do your best to be open and really listen to what your critic has to say. Okay. We, it's fight or flight. And Julie, you said it. You're either lashing back or running away. And we've got to find how not to do either of those things. So, folks, what we thought we would do is we would do a little bit of a role play for you. Uh, we don't normally do this. And, uh, Julie, uh, you and I are going to be in this role play. And I'm just going to bring up a point that I want to talk to you about. And you're not going to react so well. Okay. Now, <laughs> and, and I don't know what your questions are, but I do know <laughs> that uh, these are some typical answers. Okay. So, uh, and Jonathan, you're going to tell us what, how she reacted once we go through this. And the point of this, first of all, no animals were injured and no feelings were hurt when we designed this. Okay. Just want to let you all know. <laughs> okay. So, Julie, I just wanted to talk to you about handling criticism. Well, too bad. I mean, this is the way I am and people need to accept me. So get over it. So sometimes we're too lazy or unwilling to be better. Okay, so the lazy or unwillingness in that, in that answer. Julie, look, I just wanted to talk to you about managing your time. <laughs> well, coming from you, that seems a little disingenuous. Ooh, that's just, a, <laughs> that's just an attack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. It just yeah. is. Okay, again, Julie, just wanted to talk to you about overreacting. Well, I've seen, I've seen you do the same thing, Rick. Uh, the sword is out again. Attack. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, Julie, how about this one? Julie, 
I just wanted to talk to you about our last podcast. Well, you know, if you would have gotten me that information sooner, I could have done better. Oops, a deflection. (laughs) (laughs) Fling, it's like a uh, (laughs) a tennis ball. Yeah, yeah, and you know, didn't even get into the actual, the body of the the, the matter. She's, She's... in this role play is just is just it's not my it. fault. Yeah, right, right. It's your fault. Okay, well, I have one more for you. Okay, <laughs> Julie, one more for you. This is the big one, Julie. I just really want to talk to you about managing disagreement. Well, you know, I was just doing what everybody else was doing. Just excuses. You know, and it's funny because, well, well, even though I know this is role play. I, I actually have my arms crossed. Like I am ready in this defensive position. And, you know, every single one of these answers, I'm a little, you know, not, not proud of it, but I have either thought or said every single one of these at some point when I'm being criticized. And, you know, sometimes the answer is I always, or I never. And and that's something that is triggered to me because these are buzzwords that are very rarely true. And so if you find yourself answering with always or never, yeah, maybe you got a problem just yeah. like you do with any of these other issues. Yeah. Never in a million years. I mean, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, a million years to exaggerate. Yes. Yeah. No one wants to be wrong as we think it makes us stupid, lazy or uninformed. We deny, make long explanations to justify, make excuses to show the person criticizing us that they're way off base and the Reflect the cause of our wrong, our wrong ways to take the harsh spotlight off of ourselves. Next comes the counterattack. John- Jonathan pointed that out several times. We lash out at our attacker with harsh accusations regarding their motives, their knowledge, their competence, hoping to put them on the defensive and at the same time punish them for daring to attack us in the first place. So, folks, oh, this is all pretty yucky. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's all yucky? It's yeah. all yucky. Okay, put that in the rewind. It's yucky. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, there's a great quote here from Tanya Lee. Criticism stings most to the person who relies on constant praise. That is really a powerful thought. Criticism stings most to the person who's relying on praise. So how do we manage this? Because some of us are wired that way. Okay, Consider the fact that we might have blind spots to our deficiencies. How should we respond? How about uh, this? You don't know the half of it. <laughs> or thank you for your concern. So those well, are those, see those are much better responses than the ones I had. Yes, but Julie, those were a role play. Remember, mm-hmm. no feelings were hurt in that in that interchange. We signed a, a release about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some scriptures on this: the blind spots and managing things. Just to lay some groundwork. Proverbs fifteen verses one, two, and then one and two, and then four and five. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of the fool spouts folly. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. A lot of powerful, powerful phrases and words in there to give us a sense of not taking criticism well is not a good thing. So however we're wired, we need to consider how can I do it better? Because most of us, I would say, are not naturally wired to really accept it without it beating us down or with one, uh, without us wanting to beat somebody else down. So let, let's uh, – well, constructive criticism might be one of the tools that God uses to hasten our Christian maturity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man – to the measure of the stature 
which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay, the unity of the faith to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So this is about developing to be a part of something that's bigger than me. And if I can't handle criticism, how can it be a part of something that's bigger than me? This is what God wants us to learn. Chastening can take the form of criticism used of God to correct us and set us on the right course. Jonathan, how about Proverbs 3, 11 and 12? My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Whom the Lord loves, he reproves. Folks, if you don't take anything else home, take that home. We are given that strong instruction so we can be better. That's why God's providence exists in the life of a true Christian. One more scripture on this, Jonathan, Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Okay. God could be using a third party to help us. Our spouse, family, co-workers, even strangers. So they could be people that you don't even know. A criticism, rebuke, or correction. If properly evaluated and found to be justified and applied can be of great value to our spiritual maturity. So there's a lot of pieces in that that we have to be able to, to work on and walk through. Now, this was one of the, the things that kind of hit me when we were looking at this. And I think this is something that's going to help me personally. You know, the Lord has promised here to give us correction. And we aren't told exactly how it's going to come about, but we're promised this proof in order to set us on the right course. So this was a paradigm shift. Is the criticism I'm receiving something God wants me to know about? And this is the method he's using to tell me. So this goes beyond my own insecurities or my own, you know, defense mechanisms. If this is a message from God, I need to at least evaluate it, open the mail, read it, and act appropriately. And we're going to get into a lot more about how to do that as this podcast unfolds. Jonathan, our criticism counsel, if you will, for our first segment. Receive criticism without setting up a defense or launching a counterattack. If criticism hurts, it is likely our ego feeling the pain. Be honest in self-evaluation. Do not lash out with excuses and counterattacks. See, these are things that are hard to do, but they are must-do things that we have to really look at carefully. Criticism can be a gift from God sent to us by someone who wrapped it in a crude and unsightly wrapping. All criticism is not created equal. Criticism from a trusted advisor should be easy to accept, right? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Though we'd like to think otherwise, each of us possesses a degree of ego which is tinged with self-pride and conceit. When we feel our ego is offended by criticism, perhaps it is pricked with truth, and that causes us pain. Criticism is most insulting when we think, we are, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. You know, remember that last quote where it, criticism stings most to someone who relies on constant praise that's insecurity, and that's the left side of our middle, you know, where we have self-doubt. 
But defending our ego goes back to the right. You know, it's when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And that's when we start getting defensive or we retaliate or weaponize. So you keep talking about going to the left, self-defensiveness, or to the right, attacking, you know. And, and, and this is important because what we want to do is you want to stay steady. We want to be steady followers of Christ in dealing with these kinds of things. And that's why we're going through this in such great detail. If criticism is always affecting you badly, what is that saying about you? Sometimes even advice sounds like criticism to us if our egos are not in check or if we're not quite doing what we should be doing. So there is, like you said, Julie, before, there's a lot of mirror activity in this particular podcast. How am I doing? What am I doing? And why do I respond to criticism the way I do? You know, maybe we're just mad that we got caught. You know, sometimes we are doing or saying or whatever, we are going down the wrong path and we're just plain mad that somebody now found us out and that's really dangerous. It is. And we're going to we're going to find a lot of great examples as we go through this that help to uncover that potential reaction which is very very common. Let's go back to another um soundbite from the Art of Manliness, how to take criticism. And here they're asking about you need to examine who the critic is. This is an important aspect of things, but it's not the most important thing. So to determine whether or not a piece of criticism is something you should consider, evaluate its source and the motivations behind it. Ask yourself if you respect the person and their opinion. Do they understand and have experience with the subject they're critiquing, or are they just some random spectator in the peanut gallery? Are they a creator themselves, or just a consumer? Are they being objective or emotional? Do they have a long view of your work, or are they new to who you are and what you do? Also, ask yourself whether or not the source of criticism is genuinely interested in helping you improve, or whether their critique is simply designed to make themselves feel better, to impress their friends, or simply the result of them having a bad day. You know, one of the things that we, we immediately respond to is, uh, yeah, they're just doing it because they want to make themselves feel better. Folks, we have to think through these things. Jonathan, there's three main Wait. points. Oh, I'm sorry, Julie, go ahead. Real oh, quick. Yes, I'm you sorry. know, I really appreciated the phrase in there. He said, do they have a long view of your work or are they new to who you are and what you do? Now, in our case, our work is to follow Jesus. And this could go both ways. So if my coworker is criticizing me for not playing in the company softball games on Sunday mornings, this means I haven't communicated well enough that my first desire is to be at our church service. So this critique is not valid to me but it tells me I need to, you know, work on something. But I, I have a really personal experience. So when I was first coming up in my career in a formal office setting, you know, my friends and I would spend a lot of time shopping for clothes. We had the money and we had the need to look a certain way with clients and coworkers. And one Sunday at church, a minister I very much respect pulled me off to the side and said he noticed I was wearing expensive clothes every Sunday, never repeating an outfit. And maybe he said, I was focusing too much on the outward appearance instead of concentrating on the inward. And I was completely taken aback. And in my immaturity, had it come from any other person, I would have had all types of comebacks that we talked about in that first <laughs> segment, except maybe I've seen you do the same thing. <laughs> and I did explain that while the clothes were expensive, uh, my friends and I were shopping at the outlet mall and this particular ensemble hadn't cost me more than $40, including the shoes. And uh, he was he was pleased I wasn't spending all my money, but the impact is something that still gives me pause 30 years later. And I appreciated that he took me aside and said that. So that particular criticism stuck with you. It took you by surprise, but you, you, you took something with you that has been positive is what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay, good, good. All right. 
here's what we want to evaluate. Jonathan, there's three things kind of going back to that uh, how to take criticism uh, soundbite we just listened to. What are they? Who is criticizing us? What is their motive? And is there any truth to what they are saying? Okay, who's doing it? What's their motive? And the most important one, is there any truth? Just because someone's motive is off doesn't mean that they're not speaking some truth. It's our responsibility to find the truth, even out in the words of those who dislike us. And that's a hard thing. We're going to look at King David because there were he made a lot of mistakes. And we're going to feature him in the next couple of, of segments because he made a, a, a wide variety of mistakes. Sometimes he did well, sometimes he didn't do well in dealing with us. First, even before the Bathsheba tragedy, David's judgment cost him the lives of 70,000 of his men in Israel. Against the counsel of his army captain and nephew Joab, David ordered a census of fighting men to be taken. It was an act not directed by God because it would draw David to rely upon the strength of his army and not God. This would result in punishment. So God was explicit. Don't count your fighting men. Your battles are, are behind me. David got to a point where I want to know. I just want to know. There's a fine line between advice and criticism. Let's listen to how Joab, his general, his captain rather, responds to him in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. So David said to Joab and to the princes of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring me word that I may know their number. Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why does my Lord seek this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt to Israel? So Joab is responding, saying, you know you're not supposed to do this. God has instructed us you're not supposed to do this. He's basically saying, you know, we're going to sum this up. Bad idea. What are you thinking? As the king of Israel, you should know better. Stop this. Well, David should have known better. He does know better, but he goes ahead with his plan anyway. He was criticized at the very beginning, but he ignored sound criticism. First Chronicles 21, now we go to verse 4 and 5. But, but the king insisted that they take the census. So Joab traveled throughout all Israel to count the people. Then he returned to Jerusalem and reported the number of people to David. There was 1,100,000 warriors in all Israel who could handle a sword and 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include the tribes of Levi and Benjamin in the census because he was so distressed at what the king had made him do. So, Julie, it's interesting that when Joab came back with a count, he left a couple of tribes out. Yeah, I mean, and, and because almost a year goes by and they still hadn't even counted everybody. And and it was just it was just too much. And the thought is that it's about 10 months later that David finally realized what he did wrong and stopped what was going on. Okay, so he asks for forgiveness. He Now he's allowed. God gives him uh, the ability to choose his own punishment from three different options. This was really cool. I think this is the only place I've ever seen in the Bible where God says, pick, choose your own adventure. Pick how this is going to end. And he, and he got to pick between um, three years of famine, three months of fleeing from his enemies, or three days of pestilence from the Lord. So David chose the three days of pestilence, and it resulted in the death of 70,000 men of Israel. As directed by God, David builds an altar on a threshing floor in Jerusalem and makes burnt offerings. This spot where he built that altar would become the Temple Mount home to the second temple. 
And that's where in Israel right now, when you look at the Temple Mount, if you go to Jerusalem, this is the exact spot where uh, this story happened. So it's very interesting. Okay. So go ahead. Well, there's just a lot of lessons in this story. So what we're going to do is in the CQ Rewind show notes this week, we're going to put in the bonus material uh, a, a very extensive article on this really interesting story. So if, if you want more information, we've got it for you. Okay. So David was criticized rightfully, justly, and actually mercifully, and he ignored it. So there's three lessons we want to just touch on here. Jonathan, what's the first one? What are my deepest motivations driven by? Are they pure or hovering in a gray area? It's about me. What is driving my heart? Not that other person. What's driving me? Julie, what's the next one? Well, when you're shown an error in judgment, what is my immediate response? And for most of us, our immediate response is, you don't know what you're talking about. No, that can't be true. We need to be able to process and deliver, not based on reaction, but based on a scripturally sound, wise response, which we'll get into. Jonathan, the third lesson. Am I inclined to be positively sensitive to criticism from trusted sources? This is interesting. Do I really listen to trusted sources? And, you know, Joab should have been his trusted source. Right. Joab knew what was going on, and he should have been a trusted source. So um, I have an example of a trusted source okay. coming up. So um, I, when we were prepping for this program, you know, my sister, whose name is Lori, I, I think that she really handles criticism well. And we were talking about it, and one of the things she said was, you know, if you're going to, if you bring something up to me, I know for sure, hundred percent, you have my best interest at heart. So what would, what would that say about me if I don't listen to what you say and try to put it into some sort of practice? So I asked if she would give us what some of her secrets are, because she's really worked on this, on, on accepting criticism. And so this next soundbite uh, is, is, is Lori, you'll recognize her voice because she is the narrator for our CQ Kids videos. And our listeners can go to christianquestions.com slash YouTube. We have a lot of inspirational videos there. <clears throat> but there's a, a recent one, How Can We Be of Service to Others? So perhaps that would follow along with this program for kids. Okay. So from Lori, uh, secret tips on criticism. One way criticism can be a tool for growth is by viewing it not as a way to cut you down, but as a secret tip for your success. If you were running a marathon and someone pulled you aside and said you could come in first if you wore this type of clothing or ate this power bar, wouldn't you do it? That's what criticism can be if it's presented in the right form. It's a secret tip for success. If the other person has your best interest at heart and you are doing something wrong or thinking about something in the wrong way, change your view so that you see their criticism as a heartfelt gift. First, they're awakening your awareness that you are not on the right track. And second, hopefully giving a suggestion on how to do it better so you can succeed. There's humility in that response. There's trust in that response. And there is godliness in that response. Trust those whom you trust when they say things to you that it may be hard to receive because you want to absolutely believe they have your best, best interest in mind. What a powerful tool to set the groundwork. Jonathan, what's our criticism counsel for this segment? Growth is easily and often limited by our refusal to hear and consider criticism, even from our trusted sources. Stop and consider if it carries important revelations for us. Can't stress enough how much we have to stop and consider. You've got to pause 
because our minds and our hearts go wild when we hear something we don't want to hear. But we need to pause and consider, where's God's providence in this whole thing? Our first inclination might be to attack. Instead, stop, pause, and consider if there is any truth in the criticism. What about criticism that is veiled but true? Or criticism that is hateful? How do we handle these? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact, single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? Whether a criticism is true or false, necessary or vengeful, we would do well to actively listen and let the person talk without interruption. There's a novel thought. Clear out your ego by taking a deep breath and saying thank you. And Jonathan, you touched on that, on that earlier. Making sure you have clarity on the issue and ask for examples. Comes back to one of the seven uh, habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. Seek first to understand and then to be understood understand what that critic is saying to you, no matter who they are. It's so important to, to set the groundwork for moving forward. So let's go to another King David lesson on criticism. His sins regarding Bathsheba were many, adultery, lying, murder, and cover-up. Nathan the prophet confronts David with his transgression by veiling it in a story about a rich man and a poor man in, King, in David's kingdom. So he knows David's not going to hear him say to him directly, you have done wrong. So he tells him a story so he can get David's reaction, and through that story, he will reveal truth. This is criticism really, really working well. Second Samuel chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 6. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. You know, talk about someone who is so self-absorbed and selfish and just nasty. The, the, the prophet Nathan lays out this horrible, horrible action by this very wealthy man who had everything he could afford to do and just decided to take something from someone who had nothing. And what happens? Then David's anger burned greatly against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. So David pronounces just ju uh, judgment and it's justifiable anger. Surely the villain must be put to death. Okay, what does Nathan say in verse 7? Nathan said to David, you are the man. Talk about an ouch experience. Criticism unveiled in all of its power for good right there. You are that man. Then Nathan goes on a rant recounting how God had bountifully blessed David. He was anointed to be king. He was delivered from Saul's madness. He was given everything, riches and wives and lands, and he could have been given more. God loved him and was blessing him. In all of his glory and wealth, he stole Uriah's wife and had him killed to cover it up. 
And now God says the sword would never leave his house. His authority would be challenged and he would be disgraced. So this is a, a harsh, harsh response. God responds very, very plainly. David immediately accepts this very harsh criticism as a pivotal correction in his life. And let, let's just pause there for a second. Immediately accepts the harsh criticism as a pivotal correction in his life. Does he know what he needs to do? No. no. He doesn't. He just knows he did wrong. So now he's got to figure out. So he, carte blanche, accepts what the prophet told him. And then he's going to figure out, what do I do next? And there's... Rick, Rick, a man of this power, a king, accepting? Yeah. That's rare. Power and humility? Well, and those are some of the things that David had that is why God loved him so much. He had this great humility, and he gave him great power. And with great power comes great responsibility, and with great responsibility generally comes great pride. Julie? You know, and one of the things Nathan says to him um, was, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? And it's almost as if David had had like a covering on his eyes and it was just lifted up and he saw what he did and talk about the guilt and the shame that he felt. You know, that, 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 that's a huge motivator. Yeah, and, and so David's quick to accept the criticism and the accusation. What does David say? This is powerful in verse 13 of Second Samuel 12. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So David's sincerity must have been deep to his very core because the answer that Nathan gives him is what? And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. So God had some graciousness with him, but he suffered immensely for these sins. So that's a, that's, that's a criticism that he does take well. The first one, he didn't. This, when it's brought to his attention, in words he can understand. And think about that. Nathan gives him words he can understand. He embraces the criticism as being life-saving in his desire to serve God. So whether we have a growth experience or not is all in the way that we receive the criticism. That's another big, big point. Even if we reject the criticism now, it doesn't mean we can't receive it later. It doesn't mean we can't change. So if you have... In, in the past, rejected criticism that deep down you know, and oftentimes we do, I should have listened, go back, receive it, change, and watch how God can bless you. Proverbs twelve fifteen. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So a wise man, and that's what we all want to be, wise men and women, is he who listens to counsel. What is our criticism counsel for this uh, quick look at the sins of David regarding Bathsheba and so forth. Truly handling any criticism requires a humble yet driven desire for unadulterated truth. Let us view criticism as a potential truth revealer. So, Julie, let us view criticism as a potential truth revealer. that, That kind of implies that not all criticism will be. Well, that's true, but that goes back to our original, you know, this chart that we're building our reaction should be to contemplate and then take action or not take action, but at least you're making a decision to not move forward for the right reasons. You know, who's criticizing, what's their motives, and is there any truth? And if there's any truth in it, we first have to search for that truth to know that. So we, and, and even if it comes from uh, what my dad used to call an unsavory source, <laughs> he used <laughs> to use cute. that word all the time. You, if there's truth, accept the truth. 
and do the growing that's necessary. Our final King David criticism story is going to be about receiving verbal and physical abuse from a man named Shimei. Now, Shimei is a descendant of King Saul, and of course, King Saul is dead, and his, and his line has been ended because Saul rebelled against God. 2 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 13, we're going to break this down in pieces. As King David came to Beharam, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimei, son of Gera, from the same clan as Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Get out of here, you murderer! You scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you have tasted some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. So this man is not speaking anything kind to David. He's exaggerating some things. He's lying about some things. He's misrepresenting some things. These critical accusations are for stealing the throne and the downfall of Saul's family. The mockery is about Absalom's rebellion. Now, think about it. David is out in public, and this man is yelling and screaming and throwing rocks and dirt at him, yelling these things. Would any king allow such an outburst, especially in front of his men? And his men react to this because, hey, you're the king. You don't have to put up with that. This is treasonous activity. So now verses 9 through 12. Jonathan, go ahead. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, David's nephew, son of Zerai, demanded, Let me go over and cut off his head. No, the king said, If the lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? Then David said to Abashi and to all his servants, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the lord has told him to do it. So David basically says, just let him be. Just let him be. let him say whatever he's going to say. So David is actually showing an understanding of Shimei's perspective. It's not a correct perspective, but he's seeing and, and relating to the man has a different perspective, and I understand why. Let it be. So he takes a dramatic step and says, nope, I will allow him to criticize me. Verses 12 and 13. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road, and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. He's still, he's still at it. You know, one of the things that he's doing is he's telling David that you are a terrible parent because Absalom, your son, wouldn't want to kill you if you hadn't done something wrong against him. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of this may be cutting to David, like, well, maybe there is some truth in that. Maybe I did go a little wrong with Absalom. I don't know. Let me find out, because maybe the Lord is trying to tell me something, just like Nathan was trying to tell me something. So David shows an incredible uh, reliance on the providence of God when it's incredibly in uncomfortable and public. And that's the thing. A king in those days would have never put up with such, such public behavior that was against him. But David is seeing God's providence in him, and David essentially vows, I will not hurt this man till the day I die. Okay? David accepted criticism from an irate accuser as God's providence. He, he, he cast aside the untruths without malice. 
Okay, he cast aside the untruths without malice and accepted the truths. David could have chosen to have Shimei killed, viewing the criticism as an attack on his integrity and competence, and he would have been justified. But he didn't, because he saw it as from God. And that's a real sense of God first, God is above us all. Jonathan, there's a, there's a powerful scripture in Proverbs chapter 15, our theme chapter, verse 10. Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. Okay, well, there you have it. Oh, great. <laughs> so if we don't get these lessons today, we're toast. <laughs> well, but you know, here's, here's the thing that's so important about this, is that what we're being shown is that there are ways to accept reproof, even if it's ugly and nasty. And we're going to really delve into that as the podcast progresses further. So please stay with us for all of these things. The, the point, though, is we want to make sure we're seeing things from a clear and godly perspective. Jonathan, what's our criticism counsel for this segment? Actually, it's Julie this oh, time. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, right. I knew that. Okay. Well, so you want to know what our counsel is yes. on this one? Yes. Okay. Well, if we view harsh and ugly criticism that's allowed by God, it can open the door for our own potential growth. And, you know, such criticism may contain elements of truth. And this just might be the corrective glasses we need to aid us in seeing our shortcomings. So you remember how Lori had said, you know, maybe it's a power bar that keeps us going here. If we mentally think, Putting on glasses and we can see ourselves more clearly, that may help us to receive criticism better. Okay. So it's important. So this is about responding with respect. Respect to God's providence, respect to the circumstances, and respect to my commitment to be a follower of Jesus. That's what this is. We have some some criticism management tools that we want to take a look at. Jonathan, what, what's the first one? Wait at least a minute before responding to criticism to avoid immediate hostility. Okay, wait a minute. Just wait. Julie, what's next? Oh, well, I thought this was a really good one. Write down the exact conversation so that you don't add negative words when you recall the feedback. Because you know when we are criticized, that replays in our mind over and over again. And you tend to fan to make it more fantasitical than it was, and it's more evil and more harsh. So write it down so you don't add extra words. And we're so good at that. You know, he said I was ugly, okay? And then later on, he said I was ugly and, and homely. And then later on, he said I was ugly and homely and not even my mother liked me. You know, <laughs> you know and that's what we do. That's what we do. Jonathan, what's our third criticism tool to, to, to help manage it? Ask someone you trust if the feedback is accurate and focus on the positive aspects of the conversation. And that's a powerful thing. Ask somebody you trust. Hey, I received this criticism. You don't have to tell them where it came from. Matter of fact, you shouldn't. What do you think? Is there truth in it? Because if there is, like you said, Jonathan, I really do want to know. I want to, I want to understand it. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. So even when somebody is opposed to us, we can take this principle and apply it and be sharpened to stand stronger for God and his word and his way through Jesus, even by those who oppose us. Mm -hmm. Julie, you've got a quote here, several lines. Just give us the little background and on this quote, and then let's, let's listen. So recently I heard a sermon from a, a minister uh, named Elmer Weeks, and he had some very wise counsel on this topic. Here's something that he said. <clears throat> Criticism is more commonly viewed as a weapon of attack than a tool of chiseling. 
that can be effective to remove unshapely aspects and flaws of our character. Our old self wants to set up a defense and will be quick to counterattack upon the offending enemy. But chipping away of the imperfections often can be done only by such methods. We might term these as growing pains, causing us to take on more and more of the characteristics of the fruit of the spirit, especially humility. If we refuse to accept the pain that accompanies criticism because it hurts the old man too much, our old character, we refuse the opportunity for spiritual growth. And I'll add, it's important we try to take on the attitude that we've seen by David. Okay, and you know, <clears throat> David's attitude was in a time and a place where it would have been difficult in, in, the, in the areas where he received the criticism well, the two areas. This was difficult. The, they were, the, the, the criticism that he received from Nathan was life-changing. The criticism that he received, the criticism that he received from Shimei was, was, was altering from the standpoint he showed his men, I'm willing to let God's providence play out. You must follow what I've said. But it's so easy to want to set up a defense. Folks, criticism, even from somebody who, who doesn't like you, can really be a powerful, powerful tool. If we are truly disciples of Jesus, it's our responsibility to honestly evaluate criticism that comes our way. Using criticism to make ourselves better is wise, but how do we handle social media hatred? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? Social media has given society permission to become the Wild West when it comes to empowering people to make virtually anonymous, unfounded, unkind, or unnecessary commentary on just about everything. Handling this kind of false accusations or harsh and undue criticism is not easy. As a matter of fact, it may be, may well be, one of the most important and difficult things we ever have to face. So let's look at dealing with criticism as not only important, but let's accept that it is a, it can be a challenge, and wherever it comes from, we need to have a response that is godly. You know, and and when it's it's talking, well, Jonathan, let's let's we're talking about online stuff. Uh, Merriam-Webster actually defines online trolling. Now, I don't know how many years ago that definition didn't exist, but it's here now. So what is online trolling? Well, seeking to antagonize others online by deliberately posting inflammatory, irrelevant, or offensive comments or other destructive, destructive content, trolls have no goal other than to incite a response. Okay. Think of online trollers as emotional hackers. You know, seriously, think of them as trying to hack into your emotions so they can play with your head and play with your heart. There's no value to that, but that's what happens. This is a really nasty situation. Destructive criticism is an attack, character assassination, or a total put-down. So the question is, well, who has this problem? Well, you know the saying, if someone's pointing at you, they have three fingers pointing back. So it's the one that is making those offensive uh, remarks. But how often do we take what they said and just let it marinate inside our head and our hearts 
And then, Julie, I think you suggested earlier we add words and description to it. And what was said maybe in one line becomes a paragraph of vitriol because that's how we have, have pulled it in to our lives. Well, what do we do? Look to Jesus. Jesus was a constant victim of not online trolling, but ancient trolling. Okay? He was followed for the purpose of being taken down. And, and, and put in his place. He was criticized by the scribes and the Pharisees. They didn't want to learn from him. They wanted to criticize him. He cast out evil spirits and acu- was accused uh, of doing so by means of satanic power. When he, when he and the disciples plucked the heads of wheat on the Sabbath because they were hungry, he was accused of not keeping the law. Even healing on the Sabbath was brought, brought to him constant accusations. For Jesus, no good deed would go unpunished. And, you know, the, the, the response here is, and he kept on going. He kept on going. Luke seven thirty three and 34. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is pointing out, look, guys, I see what you're doing. You're just finding something to complain about. And if I acted like John the Baptist, you would criticize me too. If John the Baptist acted like me, you'd criticize him too. The fact is you're going to criticize anything that is outside of what you perceive to be relevant and real. And they, their criticism was not good. And whenever they criticized Jesus in that case, there was never anything of truth. They never criticized him for truth. When, when he said, they say, you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath. Well, he did heal on the Sabbath. You know, and he just told them, you're misre- misrepresenting the law. I mean, another example of this. This is, this is powerful. A woman anointed uh, Jesus with ointment. This is uh, shortly before his death in Matthew 26, 6 to 11. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a one woman came to him with an alabaster vial and very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So it's interesting. The disciples' criticism was directed toward the woman, but it was actually meant for Jesus, for allowing her to do what she did. So, you know, Julie, when you look at that, that response and, and what she had done and the costly gift that she had given, there's a dramatic contrast in motivation here between the woman and those that are criticizing her and Jesus. Well, yeah, you know, she, she was doing this to anoint him, and they wanted the money to be given to the poor, which really means we want the money to stay right here with us, you know, because it was they just didn't they didn't see it. And so he, Jesus was even criticized by his own disciples, you know, his own friends we're doing the wrong thing. They were telling him the wrong thing. And uh, what we're going to find is the only way he was able to do this was because he knew he was doing God's will. Right. You know, he was so grounded in what he was supposed to do. That's what gave him the strength. And I think that can give us strength too. So that's the key. Jesus was grounded in the fact, the fact, the fact that he was doing the will of God. Therefore, nothing stuck. And there is great beauty in that fact. And that is summed up for us, actually, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, 
but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I love the last phrase. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Folks, this is, if you have issues with criticism, you take this scripture, 1 Peter 2.23, and you print it out, and you put it on your refrigerator, and you underline that last phrase. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's how you deal with criticism. Even if it's true, you entrust yourself to God because it's something from him. What others thought of him was of little consequence as long as he knew he was doing the will of his father. Jesus was never offended when he was unjustly criticized. As a matter of fact, he died for each and every one of his harshest critics. Jonathan, we want to go to another soundbite here. And this is kind of a throwback, if you will. You know, back in our radio days... Um, when we would get call-ins, our great friend Julius would call us pretty much every single week. Oh, he would. He's, and he would enlighten us with a lot of wisdom. Right. And so, you know, so Julie had contacted him and said we were doing this program and asked him for some pearls of wisdom. So we're bringing Julius back. For those of you who have listened to our early, early episodes, you know, on the radio, you, you know him well. But here is Julius's perspective on accepting criticism, and again, interestingly, talking about Jesus. Truly, one of life's greatest challenges is how we accept criticism. Our Lord Jesus is the ultimate model, as described by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 7, quote in part, He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, yet he opened not his mouth. End of quote. He is my model, inspiring me to meditate on this favorite quotation. Blessed are they that expect nothing, for they shall never be offended or disappointed. God bless. <laughs> Thank you, Julius. I haven't Thank said that you. in a long time. Thanks, Julius. You've added to our podcast dramatically, as you always have done in the past. And what a great experience <clears throat> looking at that scripture. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, but yet he opened on his mouth. There was not a complaint in him because he was doing the will of God. We need to see criticism as helping us, even if it hurts, and to see through, to find the truth, and work with it. Julie, you have another quote here, I think, from uh, Elmer Weeks. You know, before we go into that, I just want to step back. This online situation is huge. You know, it's hard to even pick up an electronic newspaper these days without reading about suicides that are happening in unbelievable proportions. And people are getting hurt. And young children, 7, 8, 9, 10, are committing suicide because of what online uh, their peers are saying to them. And it's it's a real problem. And uh, how do we overcome when a criticism plagues us for a long time? You know, it's hard to... We can't let it go. We replay it over and over in our minds, and we're thinking about what we should have said and how we should have reacted. And in this type of case, I think that we can look to Jesus's life. You know, whatever the one statement is, it looks tiny in the scheme of life and the barrage of hatred that Jesus had to endure. Yeah. So I think we really need to steady ourselves. So, and you're right. The one day, the one criticism is one thing. God's providence is for our entire human life and for all eternity as well. Compare the weight of the two, and which one weighs more. That's where you lean to. Get over it. <laughs> yeah, well, but you know, we have yeah, to get, it's hard. get through it. We have to accept and, and develop and change as we go. That quote now from, uh, from Elmer Weeks. Okay. 
Uh, so, um, Brother Elmer Weeks said, when we are unjustly accused and criticized, may we be so well established in principles of truth to know we are standing on solid ground in God's work and our conscience is in total accord with God's guidance. As the Lord was able to read the heart, he could use God's words effectively and could do without question. We don't have this ability, but we can tactfully use the sword of the word of truth in a way it will not harm or hurt, but will in some way show others a better way. Then we are helping one another in this narrow way. So there's, again, great power in those words about accepting and even if it's unjust, accepting whatever it is that can help us to grow and move forward. And, you know, Rick and Jonathan, you know, Christian questions even is um, we're not immune to online trolling and issues. You know, the minute you put yourself out onto social media and we're trying to do good, you know, we're trying to put inspiration out there. And here's your little commercial. Anyone who'd like to find us, our uh, handle is CQ Bible Podcast. And that's Facebook and Pinterest, Instagram, Twitter. Um, But by being out there and trying to put the word of God out there, uh, you know, sometimes we have issues and we have some specific rules of engagement. And I, Rick, maybe you want to talk about, you know, what we've always said, even when when you were on the radio. So our and, and Jonathan, you remember this well, you know, when people would call in, our rules were always be respectful and try to be on subject, you know. Absolutely. But, but it was always about being respectful. Uh, and for 21 and a half years, we've gone by that rule. You can disagree. That's wonderful. That's great. But do it with respect for the person you're disagreeing with. If you want to disagree with us, great. Be respectful. Say, hey, here's another opinion. I really think you're wrong. What about this? That's a great way to do it, rather than to say, you guys are really stupid when it comes to scriptures. So that's been our approach with every social media channel that we have, is respect comes first so there can be dialogue. And and let's, um, what, what is the scripture that talks about uh, coming together and re- let, come let us reason together? That's the goal, is if, again, if you disagree, let's talk scriptures, let's talk why you disagree, and, and you know, it's, we can have good disagreements. doesn't always work that way in, in social media, though, does it? Well, sometimes, sometimes we have, you know, we have some growing pains, and sometimes we need to make some harsh decisions and, and uh, you know, say goodbye to some people, and it's, it's unfortunate. The whole thing can get very messy. Yeah, and, you know, we had, we had an experience that, like that recently on one of our social media channels where someone was being disrespectful, and actually, even though I don't do the monitoring on that, because it was as disrespectful as it was, I got involved and would write to this individual, and that person would keep posting things that were just as, as, as nasty. And I finally said to this individual, I said, listen, you and I need to talk, just you and I. Here's my email address. Contact me. This is between you and I. This should not be a public conversation. I'm happy to talk to you. And he just just... They just didn't want to listen. And so finally, I had to write him uh, a long, long note to say, look, we can't have you on because you just don't respect what we're doing here. And the moment you and I talk and the moment you and I can work out our differences, then we can move on. And, of course, the person said, no, I'm not going to talk to you. So, you know, and that was hard. That was a hard thing. But the but one of the lessons from that was I appreciated the way you took the criticism because he this person was criticizing us and there was a procedural issue that we we had made a mistake on you know that we we should have done something differently and you know and not just completely you know cut him off of this the channel but you know 
give, give some warnings. We have some pl- things in place for that. So we contemplated, you know, we considered what, what, if there was any truth to what was being said and then took appropriate action, but it was a course of action. So I, I think that that was handled well. And, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, but it was a matter of holding up what we believe are principles of Christ-likeness, Christian to Christian. When we have an issue, Matthew chapter 18 tells us that very specifically. You go to your brother if you have an issue. And we, we tried really hard, and it didn't work. So sometimes it doesn't. But you receive the criticism with grace and a thank you, and then you try to learn from it and then mend the fences if at all possible. So, Jonathan, criticism counsel for this segment. When we are unjustly accused... Remember, there's no better example than Jesus, who was firm in his desire to do his Father's will. And remember, it is God alone who is our judge. Okay, it is God alone who's our judge. And when we're unjustly accused, always, always, always go back to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Handling criticism with grace means really focusing on the fact that so many worldly things just don't matter. We know we can't please everyone all the time, but what if we continually, what if continual criticism if gets Rick, to be Jonathan too much? And the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. Valid criticism, which comes from a reliable source with our best interest in mind, causes us to pause and consider it it as a tool for our benefit. Weaponizing our words, however, our actions, back to any source of the irritation, is never appropriate. We also need to be careful not to take the criticism so personally that it causes unhealthy uh, self-depreciation, self-doubt, depression, or even paralysis. And those are big things. We can actually become paralyzed by someone's criticism. And that is a hard thing to to, uh, have to deal with. So we've got some more criticism management tools for this segment. There are actually four of them as we begin to wrap this up. Julie, go ahead. Um, Well, you know what? We received, I just wanted to add this. We received an email to our email address, which is inspiration at christianquestions.com. And uh, Jay asked us the following question. Why do even the most popular people on the planet still care about one criticism out of a thousand compliments? I thought that was a really good wow. question. Well, because, go ahead. No, well, it is. It is a powerful question. But when, when we come down to that, it really comes down to, am I seeking gratification from all of these people who are giving me the, the other 1,000 compliments? Is that what I'm doing here? Am I absorbing? Yeah, see, they love me. Yeah, of course they love me. Look at that. They love me. What do you mean this guy hates me? How could that possibly be? What? And I think it's an ego-related issue. It really is. And if we are that person and we get that one criticism and we get bent out of shape, we have to look in the mirror and say, wait, something is dramatically wrong here. What am I supposed to do from a godly perspective? And that's what these next tools are. So... Go ahead, uh, Jonathan. Our first tool is to accept that we are all broken. What is that's what, right? What does Rick. that mean? Go ahead. Allow other brokenness to be as you want them to allow yours to be. Everybody's broken. Romans three ten. 
as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And Rick, I was thinking, how about communication between people? Sometimes you just miss yeah. when you're, you're trying to get something across. How about different personality types? That can always be a challenge. Um, how about where you're, you're upbringing? Um, you have different um, cultural backgrounds that you may not understand someone well. And, and we, we see the mental weaknesses. I mean, we all have flaws. So we have a lot of challenges to deal with in individuals and criticism will, will happen. You know, and that's a question <clears throat> that I try to ask myself a lot is when there's a, when there's a heated discussion or a really deep disagreement, one of the things I always ask myself is, gee, I wonder what the, the rest of their story is. Because usually I don't know, but I wonder what it is. And it helps me to approach that deep difficulty by, by saying, you know, they're imperfect just like me. I need to just be able to give them that leeway. So accept that we're broken. That's the first step. The second step is realize the battle is more than self-doubt versus self-confidence. What is it instead, Jonathan? Well, um, it is God confidence that truly matters. It's not confidence in me that we need to be working on. And Julie, when you brought up that thing about the thousand compliments and the one criticism, that this is telling for that issue. Because it really comes down to, I want people to see me perfectly. Well, guess what, brother? <laughs> None of us is. Join the club. We all are going to wallow in our imperfection together and hopefully build one another up. Great scripture here from the New Living Translation, Jeremiah seventeen seven through 8. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that are reaching deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they go right on producing delicious fruit. So when we act with God confidence, we don't wither under the heat of scrutiny. And Julia, you know, when we were doing some prep work on this, you were really excited about this particular scripture. I love this scripture. You know, I, and I had never seen it before. And think about it. These were like trees planted on a riverbank with the roots that are so deep. And that's what Jesus had. He has the, those deep roots. He was well rooted in what he was supposed to do and his confidence that God could deliver him in any circumstance. And if we have that kind of confidence, it doesn't matter if it's hot up there or if there's drought, our leaves will stay green because we're connected to the water. We're connected to truth. So deep roots is the lesson. And this is really, really extraordinary to have such deep roots that the external doesn't matter because you are thoroughly, completely, 100% connected to your God confidence, not your self-confidence. So point one, except we're all broken. Two, realize the battle is more than self-doubt versus self-confidence. It's God confidence that matters. Three, Embrace the long view that we're being shaped for the glory of God and that chiseling actually hurts. Let's embrace the fact that it hurts to have to go through corrections and so forth. It does. It just does. Hebrews 10, 32 to 36. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who are so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing 
that you have yours uh, a better possession and a longer lasting one. So this is interesting because he's writing to these Christians and he's selling, telling them, I've observed you be faithful on two fronts. One, when you've been personally attacked and personally persecuted. And two, I've watched you support others in their personal attacks and personal persecution. So he's saying you are well-rounded in faith and you've suffered hard things, the taking of your property and, and so forth. And you, you are seeing you have a lasting possession, which is godliness that nobody can take from you. Verses 35 and 36. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have no need of, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Okay. Don't throw away your confidence. This is not self-confidence. It's don't throw away your confidence in God, which has a great reward. We can be discouraged with our lack of progress. Even shame and anxiety can help us turn back from the wrong path. Know that being shamed, and, and folks, this is a hard thing to be shamed. That's, that's worth an entire podcast. Know that being shamed before others does not have to be a way of life, but it can be a tool of glory in God's hand. Just ask Jesus about that. So, Julie, before we go on to our next our next soundbite, you know, the idea of being shamed and sometimes publicly and managing through and, and trying to have God confidence. Any any other thoughts before we get on to our, our final point? Wow, this is a really tough one because, you know, speaking of shame, you know, again, we do we do sometimes go down the wrong path. And, it, you know, so what, what I said in the beginning uh, of this podcast was, you know, sometimes we're angry that we've been discovered and we've been found out. And that, that does cause shame, but it doesn't mean that we have to be put down so far that we can't get back up because we'll talk about being defeated. Once we become defeated, God can't use us anymore. You know, so we, we need to get back up. We need to find a way back, just like David did, extreme request for forgiveness. Yeah. You know, he, he, he got back up. You know, and the scripture says about Jesus, you know, looking, um, he, he despised the shame. The author and finisher of faith, uh, <clears throat> he, he, I can't remember the full scripture, but he despised the shame, which means he made light of it. He was shamed publicly. He was crucified as a blasphemer of God. And he took that, that shame that went with that and said, I do this because God has arranged for me to do this for the sake of every one of you who is shaming me. And for that reason, I love you more than I hear and allow your words and your actions to stick with me. That's how he rose above it. Our final soundbite is a short soundbite from How to Take Criticism from the Art of Manliness. And it really talks about you know, being able to change our perspective. Change your perspective on criticism. Instead of seeing criticism as humiliating or embarrassing, view it as an opportunity to improve yourself. Winston Churchill had this to say about criticism. Criticism may not be agreeable, but it is necessary. It fulfills the same function as pain in the human body. It calls attention to an unhealthy state of things. Okay, change your perspective. And, you know, that's such an easy thing to say. It just is. Okay, change your perspective. Okay, great. Rick said it's all fine. Just change your perspective. You hear that? We can, we can walk away and all be happy. That's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> Well, now we've got a power bar, we've got co corrective glasses, and now we have a, uh, a medical test. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 we're going to call attention to the unhealthy state of things, and we're going to be better. Right. And, and that really is an important thing. So the four points from this segment, we've done three. Accept that we're all broken. Folks, just accept that the person who may be unjustly criticizing you, you don't know their story. 
And even if you think you know their story, I promise you, you probably don't because there's always something deeper. Second, realize the battle is more than self-doubt versus self-confidence. It's God-confidence that matters. Third, embrace the long view that we're being shaped for the glory of God. That's what Jesus did. And fourth, decide to always get back up when you fall. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Okay. And, you know, we really can't discuss criticism without acknowledging our worst critic, and that's ourselves. And, you know, when we allow ourselves to get so far down that we can't look up, like I said before, we can't be in service to God. And you did a podcast, uh, episodes 912 and 914, and you can just go to ChristianQuestions.com and in the search bar type in 912 or 914. And it was a two-part series called, Will My Regrets Ever Leave Me Alone? And this was about not being defeated in spite of what we may have said or done. And you used wonderful example of the Apostle Paul and all that he had done when he was Saul, including blood on his hands from the murder of Stephen, all of that guilt could have crushed him. But he admitted it and he never let it go, but he pivoted and he used all of it as a stepping stone to become the greatest apostle. And that's what that's what we need to think about when we start getting to that defeated and crushed stage because of criticism. So it is so important. And, you know, that, that those episodes, 912 and 914, I will tell you that personally, I actually, by God's grace, was able to turn that into a, a sermon and give it several different places. And I have had so many individuals come up to me afterwards and say, never saw it that way never saw it that way, never saw it that way. And it helped them get a new lease on life because instead of being crushed, they looked at the Apostle Paul and said, wow, this is powerful stuff. I can do this. So it really is a powerful, powerful lesson on looking to those who've gone before us and what did they do? How did they overcome? Let me follow in their footsteps as best as I can. Jonathan, what's our final criticism counsel? Whether criticism is meant to help or hurt, It can always be framed within God's providence and therefore be a customized tool for our personal Christian growth. A customized tool of God's providence. Even if the person is evil, it still can be a customized tool of God's providence. Are you choosing to use it or not? One last scripture, Jonathan, Proverbs 15, 31 to 33. He whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. Before honor comes humility. What a powerful, powerful message about how to handle the difficulties of our our daily lives. So, folks, listen. You know, here's where we are. We have music that's too loud. Don't criticize me. It was just a mistake, honest. (laughs) (laughs) What we have is we have very important tools for dealing with a very real, regular, pretty much everyday problem. What are we going to do with those tools? Are we going to take them and use them and apply them and fall down and get up again and fall down and get up again? Because I promise you, you're not going to apply them and it's going to be perfect. If we do so and we keep Jesus in our minds, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, Uh, endured the cross and despised the shame. I remember the whole scripture now and is set down at the right hand of God. This is the important thing. We must use criticism 
because it's God's providence. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, have we become desensitized to sin? Ouch. Have we become desensitized to sin? The answer to that is one we might not want to hear. We'll talk to you then.